Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Good morning. I think I'm finally together. And for those of you who watch this, sorry that I'm all over the place, but welcome as well if you're watching online. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to start there with Joshua chapter 1. Last week we kind of looked at an overview of it. Be strong and courageous. But before we begin, let me ask you a question. Anybody here a a movie buff? Loves movies? Okay. All right, so here's the question is for you then. What do the movies Batman Begins, The Godfather, Toy Story, and Star Wars all have in common? Yeah, they're all big budgets, right? They all did well at the movies. They're fan favorites. They're, they're high on the list. What do they all have in common? What's that? Ensemble cast, that is true. Here it is, ready? Their sequels were better. Their sequels were better. Time Magazine noted that in August 30th, in their 2018 edition, that their sequels, sequels are actually considered better than the originals when it comes to reviews and it comes to money. Think of Empire Strikes Back, The Dark Knight, Godfather Part Two, uh, uh, Toy Story 3. All of those have done better than the original, mainly because they appear uh, uh, not only on the all-time best list, but sequels usually many times are considered better than the original because they build on an audience that already knows and loves about the franchise characters. Now, that's not always the case, but from time to time, you will find sequels that are much better than their originals. Well, last Sunday, we began our journey through the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua kind of serves as a sequel. It may not be better than Moses, but what we're going to see is many wonderful things are going to happen in the book of Joshua. It's a sequel to the events that began in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, as Yahweh demonstrated his faithfulness in finally bringing the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the land that had been promised to them over 600 years earlier. We learned last week that the key to understanding the promised land is to recognize that the promised land is a place of rest. That's why it's so important. It's a a place of rest for the Hebrew children after hundreds of years of slavery and 40 years of wandering in the desert. And as we join together to journey through this book, we should pay attention to how the book of Joshua betrays God's faithfulness, how it beckons God's people to remember his faithfulness, and exhorts God's people to unity. Now, as we open to the first chapter of Joshua this morning, we recognize very quickly that Joshua has a tough task ahead. He has big shoes to fill. He has a really high high bar to clear. He has a tough act to follow as we put all those idioms in there as he's charged with finishing what Yahweh started with Moses. Moses was and still is regarded very highly by the Jewish people. He was appointed by God to lead his people out of Egypt. He recorded and taught them the law of God and guided them through the desert. 
Now Joshua is marked by Yahweh to replace Moses. One business strategy site notes that most organizations came to realize years ago that current and future success is heavily based on having the right leaders in the right roles at the right time. Yet few of these same companies have found ways to be proactive and disciplined about orchestrating succession uh, planning processes that yield results. In other words, you have to plan to have the right person at the right place at the right time. And as we're going to see here, that's what culminates as we open up the book of Joshua. Leadership is both a privilege and a responsibility that must be taken seriously and soberly. Nations, states, cities, companies, uh, families, and even churches find that their success are due to good, righteous leadership. But also on the other side, that failure to do so is a lack of leadership or through wicked or selfish leadership. Getting the right leader is very important. And following good leadership is also very important. Today, we will learn that chapter 1 of Joshua is broken up into two many or two main themes. The first, one through nine, which we'll be mainly focusing on, is the marching orders of Joshua. What are you to do, Joshua? And then 10 through 18, which we read for our scripture reading, is the marching orders for the nation of Israel to follow. Joshua is called to lead. The children of Israel, as you saw in our reading, is called to follow. So with that, Joshua chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 2. We read it last week, but we're going to start again with that. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Once again, Father, as we traverse back into an ancient text that is thousands of years old in a people that are far removed from us in a land and a time that that would be difficult for us to understand. You've called us to read your word, to learn from it, to expect it to be profitable to us. So, Father, we want to do that this morning. I thank you for the story of Joshua. I thank you for how it has been translated and transmitted through time for our good and for our benefit. And, Lord, may your spirit do its work. Father, that you may call us to lead as you call us to follow. In your name we pray. Amen. It's actually apropos that this turned out being on Father's Day. You're going to find that there are many things with Joshua and leadership that a father needs to do. That wasn't by plan. It's just the way that God works things out. But as you look at here and you look in the Bible, when you look at people like Joseph, Nehemiah, and Daniel, and then you come to Joshua. These people, these men are usually considered the epitome of leadership. Many uh, biblical leadership trainers will use these men to train us how to lead and, and train us how to guide people. And we have much to learn from these men who Yahweh calls in the service. One old saying <clears throat> goes this way, when God calls, he also equips When God calls, he also enables. When God calls, he provides. And when he calls you, he will qualify you. I'm sure there are many times that you feel like, I am not qualified. I am not able to do this job. This is something different. And I can almost assume that that Joshua might have had those same types of thoughts. As Moses is heading up to that mountain, knowing, Joshua knowing, that they're not going to see Moses again. I'm sure that there were doubts in his mind. 
He's been traveling with these people for over 40 years. They've been a rebellious and stiff-necked people, even the second generation of Israelites. And he says, now I've got to attack a land that, they, that their parents were afraid of. And I'm sure there was much doubt in his mind. Maybe as you today, as a father, maybe a, a father-to-be or, or bringing, coming into that thing, he says, am I qualified? Am I able to do this job? Well, God is the one who makes us sufficient, amen? He's the one who's brought us together. And this is no different. Let's take, a, let's take a look at Yahweh's work in Joshua's life to equip him, to enable him, to provide, and qualify him to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. So we're going to look at some things. First, you and I need to consider the person of Joshua. From Scripture, we know that he was the son of Nun. Now that reminds me of the old riddle. Other than Adam and Eve in the Bible, who else had no parents? Joshua, the son of Nun. All right, all right. You don't remember that? See, you need to grow up in a good church without the church program. That's an, that's an old joke. Originally, his name was Hosea, which means salvation, but was later changed by Moses. The name Joshua means Jehovah is salvation and is the same word, the same name in Greek as Jesus, as we know as Jesus. And you're going to see Joshua very well points to Christ uh, many times in this book. He was born a slave in Egypt, but now he becomes the conqueror uh, uh, of Canaan. He becomes Israel's leader at the age of 85. Could you imagine that? We're retiring at the 60s, 65, 67. Uh, he starts his job at age 85. He led Israel for 25 years he was in war. He died at the age of 110. And he and Caleb, as you might recall, were permitted to live in Canaan because they were faithful in giving a good report of the Lamb. So here is a man of, of, of integrity, a man who was used to hard work, a man who was, who was prepared for this job. Now, secondly, that leads us then to the preparation of Joshua. Uh, we need to see that Scripture tells us that Yahweh has been preparing, preparing Joshua for some time. Take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 27, just over a couple books back from Joshua. From Exodus to Deuteronomy, we learn that Joshua had led the victorious battle against the Amalekites. He had accompanied Moses to the mountain of God. He has served as the assistant to Moses since the early days of Egypt. He was one of the original spies of the land of Canaan who gave a good report. He was faithful in following the Lord, and he was full of the spirit of wisdom. Now, as you look at Numbers 27, verse 18, we read that he was also commissioned by Yahweh, uh, uh, by Yahweh, Moses, and the leaders of Israel, and filled with the spirit of God well before this day. Look at 27, verse 18. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar, the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all of the congregation of the people of Israel may obey him. And he shall stand before Eleazar, the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. 
So God had been preparing uh, Joshua for this for the, for, the, for the entirety of his life. And we see this especially in these last 40, 45 years of following Moses. He is ready to do and prepared to, uh, to lead the children of Israel. Thirdly, we see Yahweh's purpose for Joshua in verse 2. Look at verse 2 once again. Moses, my servant, is dead, Yahweh says. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Now, you have to remember that Moses did not get Israel to or through the finish line. He got them to the promised land, but not into the promised land. He was not able to get them to the finish line because of his anger. His anger led to his denial of the access into the promised land. And you and I need to, let me very quickly, uh, just an editorial note on fathers. We, we need to make note of this. The Bible says that the anger of man does not lead to the righteousness of God. He tells us as fathers not to provoke our children to wrath or to anger. Uh, we need to watch ourselves and our angers because our, our children emulate us. And so we want to be careful in this case. Joshua seeing the sin of, of Moses and striking that rock, and Moses is condemned then not to be able to go into the promised land. He was able to see it from afar, but he was not able to go into it. He says, you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel, God says to Moses, because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I'm giving to the people of Israel. So he has a purpose for Joshua. He has to finish what Moses started. Joshua, his longtime assistant, is called into action. He's designated by God as the new leader, the, Mo, the new Moses. Now, there are some similarities between the ministries and, the, and some differences between the ministries between the two. Both were in their 40s when they began uh, to serve the Lord in ministry. They were both in their 80s when they were called to lead Israel. Both were filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. However, Moses died at 120, where Joshua died at 110. Moses spoke face to face with God in a way that Joshua never was able to because he was more directed to the written law, the written word of God. So God had a purpose. You need to take the baton and you need to go through the finish line. You need to conquer the land. We need to continue. The job is not yet finished. And at 85 years of age, Joshua grabs his spear and his sword and his shield and he gets in front of the people and he begins to lead them. In verses 3, we lead of Yahweh's promise to Joshua. Not only has he prepared him and given him the, 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 the person for it, but he's also given a promise. Look at verse 3. He says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, still standing today, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. This is a promise. Look at verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with you, with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
This promise is fulfillment of the promise that was given to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. Look on the monitors, I believe. I have a map, and there you'll see there in the green and a little bit of the gray, you'll see all the land that was given to Israel at that time. It was all inhabited by very wicked men, the Canaanites, and you'll see that there's uh, two tribes were on the, the, what we'd say, the east side of Jordan, while the rest are on the west side of Jordan. That is that time, and it goes all the way up further up to Iraq, where the Euphrates River is, and almost all the way down to Egypt. This is a land, he says, I am promising to give this all to you. So God is giving him a promise. This land is an unconditional, eternal uh, 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 promise of ownership. And I want to say this again, because many times this can be missed. Uh, For many people, the land, the the promised land is very important, and it is. It's important even today. But what we see as unconditional is the promise of ownership. Israel will always own the land. But what we see in Scripture is the possession of the land is conditional on their obedience. We saw that in Genesis. We saw that in Deuteronomy. And we're going to see that as we go through the book of Joshua. It's based on their obedience. As you and I move through the Bible, Israel will, will, uh, will defeat most, if not all, the inhabitants of land due to their, uh, I'm sorry, will not, will not, uh, I'm sorry, will not defeat all of the inhabitants of the land due to their disobedience. During the reign of King David and King Solomon, Israel will conquer more of that land and increase their influence throughout the region, even to a bigger space that you see there on the monitor, only to see their children squander away that inheritance. Eventually, Israel's rebellion would lead Yahweh to expel them from the land. And we see this as we get into the later parts of Second and, and Second Kings and Second Chronicles and into the rest of the scriptures there. Even then, God promises to restore them back again. And this promise still holds true to this day. There is a day coming when Jesus will return in glory to defeat his enemies and reign from Jerusalem. Israel will regain all that has been lost and will live in the land in peace for eternity that you saw there. What we are reading in Joshua are the first steps in this redemptive promise. Yahweh promises Joshua that he and Israel will not go into the battle alone, but with the Spirit of God. Just as God will lead them from Egypt, God is going to lead them and lead them through the wilderness. He's going to lead them and join them in their battles. So we need to understand that about ownership and possession. But there's a promise that he is going to give them the land that he had promised Abraham hundreds of years prior Fifthly, Yahweh now will give Joshua several commands that must be followed. This is important. And this is going to get to the meat of what we're talking about this morning. It's found in verse 6. He says, be strong and courageous. Underline that or circle that. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Again. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Now, this command is timely as Joshua prepares to take Moses' place as a leader and a general. They are about to face a host of armies that are battling for their very existence. 
as we make our way through Joshua, we're going to read how terrified the inhabitants of, of Canaan are of Israel and Yahweh. For 40 years they have heard of, the, of Israel and the miraculous escape from Egypt. They have heard of Pharaoh's army, the, the mightiest army at that time, being drowned at the Red Sea. They have heard the reports of Israel's victories over the two kings of the Amorites. There's nothing worse than facing a wounded, cornered animal. And they are going to face a people that are frightened and will do anything they can to survive. The children of Israel will face cities that are fortified with large stone walls, armies with experienced warriors, and a populace that knows that they are facing extinction if they do not fight back with all that they have. So Yahweh commands Joshua to be strong and courageous four times in that chapter. Four times be strong and courageous, knowing that God is with them. That, 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 that command is based on God's promise. He commands them to be careful to obey the law given to Moses and not to turn away from it. So be strong and courageous and be careful to do all that I've commanded you. Lastly, as we just look at Verses 8 and 9. Yahweh instructions on the importance of the word of God. Look at verse 8. Yahweh says, The book of law, speaking of the Mosaic law, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may again be careful. Again, you may want to circle that. To be careful to do according to all that is written in it. They're not to take out bits and pieces that they do not like. Or maybe they do not understand. He says, for then, if you do those things, for then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God wants to make sure that once they enter into the promised land, into the battlefield, that they not forget the law that was given to them in the wilderness. He understands the fickleness of man, the human heart, our mind, and our tendency to focus on ourselves and our strength, especially when we face battles. How many times do we face suffering and battles and problems and we never go to the Lord? We forget that he's with us. We are quick to forget and neglect God's word. It's the last thing that we pick up and look for counsel when times are dire. But God is warning that they'll only find success if they adhere to the words of God. They will only find courage, not in themselves, not in their armies, or even in their victories, but in the fact that God is with them all the way. Now, there's several golden nuggets that we can glean from this passage this morning. This book is recorded for our edification and information to lead us into a deeper trust in God that results in worship. I want to give you three things that you and I must consider. Number one is God provides leadership to guide his children. This is something that's timeless, not just for Joshua, but he's given us these principles. God always provides leadership to guide his children. The children of Israel had to have been devastated when Moses died. For those getting ready to enter into the promised land, he was the only leader that they had known 
all their lives. They had been following him for 40 years. And it's not uncommon for nations and businesses and churches to struggle and even diminish when a popular, popular, powerful leader dies or leads. One news business new to online reports that the death of a company's founder is an emotional as well as a financial blow. As many times, sales plummet and jobs are cut as people are looking, who will guide us? Who's going to provide the direction? And many times, when when, when there's a death or there's there's a change in leadership, the overall performance of workers can be active, uh, impacted after a founder dies due to the leadership effect. Where's, where's our next step? Who will lead us? We can imagine these things. We see them every day in our own world. We see them in our families with the, the death or loss of a, of, of a father in a family. In this case, God had a plan. One that he had determined before the foundation of the world. In his infinite wisdom, he had sovereignly created and placed Joshua in this position that would make him be ready to assume leadership from Moses from day one. Joshua, as you and I look at this, exhibits three great qualities as we go through this book. He he has an obedient faith in God. He he understands who God is, and God has proven himself. He has great courage as he stands against greater foes and numbers than he is. He also has a dedication to God and his word. So when, when God has given them his instructions, these are already things that, that Joshua has already been living through. And I want to share with you, fathers, parents, moms, is we need to be men and women like that. We need to be parents who are obedient to God, who have the courage and strength to follow God's word. I wonder what type of leadership many churches would have today if something were to happen to their leader. Think of Canada. Just last week, another pastor in Canada was arrested because he was holding services. The thing is, is they had already locked his church, so he couldn't, they couldn't meet in their church. So they went out in the woods to have their service out in the open. Canada sent out a helicopter to find them located them and arrested him the next day. Today, their pastor is still in jail, but guess what that church is doing? They're meeting. I pray that if something were to happen to me suddenly, that there would be men that would stand up and say, we'll lead. That we have the courage, we have the faith that we're to continue. God always provides leadership to guide his children. Dr. Vernon McGee, of, speaking of uh, uh, Joshua, says that Joshua is a man of prayer, of courage, of dependence upon God. Fathers, is that, is that, is that defining you? If not, then you need to be a Joshua. He sees that he's, a, he's a man of leadership, enthusiasm, and fidelity. He's a type of Christ in name and work. As someone has commented, Joshua shows that a man of average ability may become a leader in the church. There's nothing pronounced about Joshua. He's not a superhero as much as we want to make these men of God. They're just regular humans like you and I that are pulled out of obscurity and given a job, a task. It is God who enables. It is God who qualifies. 
He received his call not in flaming letters across the sky, but from an old man who knew God and knew Joshua and saw that he was fitted by God to be a leader. And I'll have to tell you, that's where I stand today because there was other men who saw something in me that I did not see in myself at that day. The same way there may be men and women today that are in that same boat. Take your Bibles, if you would, quickly. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. It's important for you and I to understand that God always raises up leaders to guide and teach his children. However, you and I must understand what the job, what the responsibility of a leader is to do. It's not to do all the work. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. We read that God gave the apostles. He gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Underline that phrase. And why does, he, why does God equip them? For the building up of the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? Here we are the visible expression of that body. And why does he want to build the body? Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That does not happen until Christ returns. So we have a job to do until Christ returns. Why? To mature manhood, that we may become to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. God is in the business of raising up leaders to equip his people for the task that he has assigned to each and every one of his children. In other words, you have a job. It's not the job, past job of the pastor, to do everything. He is not the janitor and the, and the fixer-upper and the preacher and the Sunday school and the janitor and the one who goes out and does all the evangelizing and does all the other things. No, God's people are to come together, to work together to do the things of God. It's not just my job to preach and teach. It's many of yours as well. We're the ones that are called to evangelize, to make disciples. The problem is, is we're so busy doing our own thing that we don't have time to do those types of things. Just as a father is to teach his children how to become a productive, self-sufficient member of society, so are we as leaders to do in the church. And I want to give thanks publicly for the elders, Randy and Landon, who helped me do that. I'm thankful for the deacons, Brandy and Ben and Rick before him, who served for years, helping us through many difficult times in serving you. The other leaders in the church, from the small group leaders, to those who are working in the nursery, to those working on the worship team or in our small groups, in our vacation Bible schools, in our children's programs that we have, I'm thankful for them because you are extending the ministry, not only of myself and the elders, but also the ministry of Christ as we work together to disciple one another. But it's also incumbent for you, now listen to me, please, It's incumbent for you to ask this question. What makes a good leader? Well, one who loves. Leader is nothing but influence. If you are a person of influence and you are a leader, there is someone that looks up to you that you influence. So all of us are leaders. And do you consider yourself a leader? 
And do you recognize that all of us as the body of Christ, as Christians, have a role to play in advancing the kingdom of God? And I invite you to join with me in that, to be strong and courageous, for we have a land to take. He has called us and says that we are more than conquerors. But we need to expand out into this neighborhood, into this community, as well as your own and in the places of influence that you have to share the gospel. Anything else that you are doing in life pales in comparison to that. And you see, but we're saying, I have children, I have this. That is family work, bringing your children involved. There's no greater way than teach them how to evangelize and to bring, you, bring them with you. Teach them how to share the gospel, how to come and pull weeds of the church so the church looks somewhat decent, to help and spread in the neighborhood and bringing food and caring for others. God always provides good leadership. You and I are called to follow that. That's our second point. God calls his children to follow and obey leaders as they follow and obey his word. Trent Hunter writes that the God of the Bible is a speaking God. He's a God of communication. While God speaks through Joshua, this was largely to expound what Moses has written. God is going to continue now to speak to his various prophets, including Joshua, through dreams and visions and angelic messengers. But we now see that he's now pointing them to his written word. As I have said, meditate on this. As I have written to you, God is now has a written word that they are responsible to obey, to follow. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, you'll see this on the monitor. Look what we see here. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the, by the prophets. He spoke through dreams and visions, angelic ministers. But in these last days, speaking of the time of the New Testament church and forward, he has spoken to us by whom? His son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he has also created the word. And where do you and I follow, find the words of Christ, the teachings of Christ, where Christ has spoken? Through the word of God. And so you and I are called to follow and obey his word. As Christians, we need to understand the importance of God's written word. Israel would only have possession of the land that they desired if they obeyed the word of God. You and I are called to do the same thing. We can't cut out. We can't erase part of it. We can't ignore it. We can't neglect part of it that we do not like. We must accept it all as God has spoken to us. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we are commanded to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, we read, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and a marrow and discerning the thoughts and the attentions of their heart. Nothing can do the work of the Holy Spirit through God's word. No creature, he says, is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him 
to whom we must give account. Who's that God? He sees directly to us. We may, we may fool ourselves. We may hide from ourselves. But we can't hide from God. And his word is like that sword that searches and, and tells us and, and explains who we are. Joshua is called to remember the word, to meditate on a day and night, to not to let it depart from your mouth, and to be careful to do all that is written in it. Fathers, this is what you and I are called to do as we lead our families. To meditate on the word of God is to read it with thoughtfulness and to linger over it. You may want to make a note on that. To meditate is to read it with thoughtfulness and to linger over it. On, on men, on, on, on Wednesday night, that's one of the things we're looking at. How to do that. How to eat God's word rather than just read through it quickly. But how to allow it to, to come inside and do the work of discerning our hearts. Dividing our hearts. Now this word meditate is different than the world's definition. For the world to meditate is to, to empty the mind to allow something supernatural or something else to come in. But the Bible calls us to fill our mind. And you and I are very good at filling our mind, right? That's why we have apps. That's why we have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It just, how many of you can stand in silence any longer without looking at anything, without imbibing some type of information or, or, or images? The problem is, is we're filling our mind with garbage and wondering why we're getting garbage out. We have those things where our children will all of a sudden utter a word and we think, wow, in the world, where in the world did they learn that word? Most likely from you. Garbage in, garbage out. Why is my child acting like that? Well, you got a mirror around? Because we need to understand that. Let's fill our mind with the word of God. For it's only through scripture that you and I can be prosperous and successful in our endeavors. However, you want, many of us want to be successful and prosperous in endeavors that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. The Bible is inerrant, meaning it has no errors in what it speaks of. It is clear. He's written so that we can understand. It is necessary in the fact that you need it. Without it, you are lost. And it's sufficient, in meaning that, that it tells us all that we need to know for things that pertain to life and godliness. All of the wisdom that you need is found in God's word. All of our battles take place in the mind in our affections, and our will. Now you think, no, 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 my, my spouse, I'm living with the spouse. I, we're sleeping in the same bed. That, that's who my enemy is. That's untrue. Your enemy is not your spouse. It is not your children. It's not your in-laws. It, it, it's not your family. It's not your boss. It's not the world. It's not with government. The enemy is in your mind. It's yourself. It is Satan who is seeking to control you. That's why the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4.8. See it here in the monitor. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, is honorable, just, is pure, is lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What are you to fill your mind with? Anything that follows this description. Now this right now has just wiped out your cue on Netflix. 
and maybe many of the people that you follow on social media? Are they promoting these things that God is saying is true, is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent? So God calls his children to follow and obey his word. Thirdly, God is always with his children. Knowing what they are about to face, a 25-year struggle to clear out the inhabitants of Canaan, God gives them words of encouragement. Be strong and courageous. God repeats this four times in verses 6, 7, 9, and in verse 18. Be strong and courageous. But he also encourages them by stating this, just as I promised. Now, what have you and I learned about God's promises? They always come true. He keeps them. He follows through. He is faithful. Now, that's hard for you and I understand because we've had our parents, we've had others uh, make us promises, right? And they fall through, but not God the Father. There is not one promises. It says all the promises of God find their amen or their agreement or their yes in Jesus Christ. So he says, just as I promised, he will do it. He also says, I will be with you. You need to recognize that. Even in your secular world, in your life, God is never outside of you. He is with you. Especially if you're a child of God, he is with you. He also says, no man shall ever be able to stand against you. Yeah, somebody might be able to deck you and put you out. But God is the avenger, right? Vengeance is mine, saith God. Justice will be done. So no man can stand against the man of God. We are more than conquerors, he says. But then he also says this, I will never leave or forsake you. And I don't know about you, but there have been times where I felt like I've been left or forsaken. It's not a good feeling. God would never leave you nor forsake you. Make a mental note of this. As a child of God, you cannot outsin God's grace. Like the father of the prodigal son, he's always the initiator who runs to us, embracing us, covering us with kisses, offering us grace and forgiveness and restoration. Can't wait till we get to that section next year or the year after in Luke chapter 15. From this, we are encouraged to not be afraid, to not to be anxious or fearful in our service for the Almighty. And when I say for service to the Almighty, you need to recognize that your job, your employment, your, your job as a parent, your job as a spouse, your job as just as a human being is always in the service of God. All that you do. Along with Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, not to be anxious, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4, 5 through 7. I pray that this defines you. It's here on the monitor. Do we? It's not on there? Okay. You may want to write this down. Sorry about that. Philippians 4, 5 through 7 says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. If, if we were to ask, hey, does this person seem reasonable to you? I pray that they would say, yes, he's reasonable to me. 
says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, speaking of the world, speaking of our, of our understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he can give us that type of peace, but that calls us to, to, to go to the word of God, to follow his words and commands. I will agree that there's much to be fearful in this world. Many things to cause us to be anxious. I believe we now live in a world in which there is more anxiety and fear than any other time before. Why that is, I do not know, but it seems that there is more and more. I truly believe that it's one of Satan's most successful strategies. If he cannot take away your salvation, if he cannot paralyze you with guilt and shame, He then will strike at your mind with fear and anxieties, keeping you focused on anything but Christ. It's hard to focus on the word of God when we're fearful and we're filled with anxiety. It's difficult to trust in his promises when we're we're focused on the inside, when we're fearful. To endure suffering as a good soldier of Christ Yet in 1 Peter chapter 1, 7 through 9, the children of God are, are, are to be faithful in casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He calls us to resist him, being firm in our faith, trusting that God is with us that he will not forsake us, that he will be with us just as he promised. And let me tell you, this should not be done in isolation, though. Once again, this is the power of the covenant community of God's church of why we call you to membership. It calls us to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. We are called to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, and be patient with them all. We're to, we're to come along and walk alongside them. You can imagine as he's taking these you know, several million Israelites, they, they are together facing an obstacle much larger than them, but they are realizing that they are together following a man of God, banking on the promises of God, looking forward to the promises of God. Dr. Vernon McGee writes that God encourages Joshua and he endur- and, and, and introduces, excuse me, and initiates the nation into a new way of life. No longer are they the slaves as their parents were in Egypt. No longer are they wandering in Egypt or wandering in the wilderness as they are of their youth. Remember, all of them are under 40 or just a little bit above 40. Uh, they, are, they have a new way of living, of life. It's, it, instead of wandering looking for manna, they are now going to have to pick up arms and attack men. They are going to have to fight for their lives. They are going to reap benefits that, that, are, that are overwhelming in a land that was flowing, as we say, with milk and honey. They are no longer nomads of the desert, but dwellers in the land. With that, Dr. Vernon McGee then points to Colossians chapter 3 
where we see that like the children of Israel, you and I are called to put our minds, our hearts, and our will and our energies into striving for that place of rest that God has promised us as believers. We too have a place of rest. And you and I are called to follow our leaders, Christ, and obey the word of God and to be trusting in his promises. As he says there in Colossians, he says, if you have then been raised with Christ, if you're a believer, then you and I are to seek the things that are above. Just as Israel, they were not to seek the things that are in desert. They were not to look back to Egypt, but they are to seek the things that were in Canaan, where Christ is. He says, seated at the right hand of God. He then says, not only seek the things that are above, but he also says, set your mind on the things on above. In other words, don't don't think about the manna you had. Don't think about the food or the work or the security you had in Egypt. Think and set your things on the things where God is sending you. You and I need to do the same thing. It's on the new earth. That's our promised land, so to speak. Not on things of earth. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, when, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So you and I need to seek the things that are above. We need to set our minds on the things of God. Be strong and courageous as you and I are journeying in this life. But we're to move forward to that place of rest that God is being kept for us. No matter if you're called to be a leader or a follower, Christians are called to be strong and courageous today as we advance the kingdom of God one heart at a time. To that end, we must be busy preparing, serving, battling, and leading. Faith, as I've said before, is a bold obedience to God's word. I'd like to add one. I did this several years ago to the men's retreat. Faith is not only bold, but it's also courageous obedience to God's word. Faith is bold and courageous obedience to God's word in defiance of circumstances and consequences. So let's be men and women of faith. Whether we are leading, we're called to leadership, or whether we're called to follow. Let me close with one last scripture. It's found in Hebrews chapter 13, I believe. Do I have that up there? All right, Ben. All right, so I didn't do too bad. I just only missed one. Look at what he says. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That's just a little advertisement real quickly for the ladies' retreat coming up in August on contentment. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's that promise once again for Christians so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Straight taken straight from the book of Joshua, given as a promise to you and I. May we do so today as we follow and lead and obey God's word. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask Randy to go ahead and come on up as well as the worship team. And I want you to just take a moment to pause and consider what we've just read. Be courageous and strong. Be strong and courageous whether you're leading, whether you're following, let us be committed to God's word, trusting that God is with us at all times. If any way that you doubt that, I pray that you would ask him to come and, and, and confirm that for you. If you haven't followed Christ, then I would call you to do so. 
for Christ has made it possible that we can be reconciled to God. Not possible, but he has made it a surety, I should say. I pray that you would come to him today. Would you pray and then respond to the Holy Spirit's work? Be strong and courageous. If every head bowed and every head closed, Randy, would you come and lead us in our pastor's prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.